thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. You know the story of Desmond Doss? Uh, He was raised in a fairly insignificant town in the United States of America where he was a carpenter. As a committed Christian in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination, he was a vegetarian who kept Saturdays as a Sabbath, and he was an ardent pacifist. He didn't believe it was right to take a life, either human or animal. Those are fairly normal Seventh-day Adventist beliefs. But what sets Desmond Doss The pacifist part, what makes him unusual, is that on October the 12th, 1945, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, the United States of America's highest military gallantry award for his military servants at Okinawa in Japan. On May the 4th, 1945, Doss spent 12 hours single-handedly retrieving and lowering wounded soldiers from the battlefield to safety down the edge of the cliff at Hacksaw Ridge. That is a photograph of Desmond Doss standing at the top of that ridge. Using a rope, he lowered men down who he had rescued from the battlefield. He tried to rescue both American and Japanese soldiers, and he's credited with saving the lives of 75 men. Doss, the pacifist, believed that his God-given purpose was to save lives. He was so singularly committed to that purpose that he enlisted in the US Army as a medic, even though he was a pacifist. He was so singularly committed to that purpose that he faced trial by court-martial during his time of training when he refused to bear arms. He was so singularly committed to that purpose that after being wounded by a grenade, he threw himself off the stretcher that he was being rescued on because he spotted somebody else who was wounded in a situation more desperate than his own. He was so singularly committed to that purpose, the purpose of saving life and preserving it, that Desmond Doss treated enemies, the very people who had tried to kill him, as well as friends. The 2014 movie Hacksaw Ridge dramatizes the events. A warning, it is war accurate. All right, so there's a plenty, there's a lot of blood and splatter in that film. It's not gory for the sake of it, it is realistic. And in the movie, you see Doss, and his hands are raw and cut to shreds by the rope that he uses to lower the men down from the ridge. And the enemy bullets are whizzing around him, and he repeats time and time again Lord, help me get just one more. Just one more, Lord. Just one more. He is singularly committed to that purpose. Today we come to the end of our journey with Abraham. We've spent 17 weeks with him over the past 18 months, and we've got to know him fairly well. We've seen his struggles and his failures. We've seen moments where he's acted with faithfulness, believing the promises of God, and times where he has failed, when he's chosen to go his own way instead. As we come to Abraham's final days, we're going to see that he was singularly committed to the purpose of God in a way that came with a great cost. Like Doss, like Abraham, 
All believers are called to pursue God's purpose at great cost. Abraham hadn't seen the promises of God fulfilled, only in part. But he trusted God was as good as his word and would keep his covenant with him. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for these ancient words and we ask that you would speak to us by them today in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that as we reflect on Abraham and his commitment to you, that that would spur on our commitment to you as well in seeing your promises come to be fulfilled. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be singularly committed to you in a way that is pleasing to you and sees us living life in all its fullness. Do we ask it in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, this passage begins after the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and it's probably a bit of a surprise and a shock to learn that he's taken another wife, a woman called Keturah, and he's had six more sons. Last week, it looked like he was on his deathbed. When I read the passage, my first question was, when? When did Abraham take another wife, and how? How did he manage to father another six children? Now, we're dealing with a pretty ancient text, and so you won't be surprised to hear that there are different opinions about when Abraham took Keturah as his wife. In verse 1, Keturah is called a wife, but in verse 6, she's described as a concubine, and that's where the confusion comes. If she was a wife, then it implies she was married to Abraham after Sarah's death. But if she was a concubine like Hagar, who we met in chapter 16, then Abraham may have fathered these six sons with her while Sarah was still alive. We can't be sure. The time frames for when are uncertain. But what is absolutely sure is Abraham's commitment to God's purposes, which is shown to us in verse number six. We see there that Abraham gives gifts to these additional sons. And then he does something that to us seems unthinkable. He sends them away from the land of Hebron. He sends them away from where he lives. He hadn't seen the promises of God to him fulfilled only in part, but he trusted that God was as good as his word and would keep his promises to him, that he would inherit this land. And so he acts in accordance with that trust and he sends his sons away. You remember the great covenant that has been made with him? that he would be a great nation, that many nations would come from him, that he would inherit this land, that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky, and that one day through his family, the whole world would be blessed. Abraham is so committed to that purpose of God. He is so trusting in that promise that he sends his sons away. Abraham's not an unfeeling brute. When he sent Ishmael away, do you remember how his heart ached and he had to be convinced by God to send Ishmael away, his other son? When he lost his wife, Sarah, which we looked at just last week, he mourned over her and wept. He's not just a sterile Bible character. He was a real, living breathing flesh and blood man with feelings and emotions and fears and worries. Can you imagine the cost as a parent? The heartache to send your children away from you? But at the same time, we have to admire his dedication to God's purpose and the confidence that what God promised would come to pass. He sends these sons away because it is Isaac who will inherit the land of Canaan which is part of God's wonderful promise to Abraham. 
He has inherited this promise because he trusted in God. He's forsaken his own homeland. He's left his own family, and he's followed God to the place that God would lead him. Abraham will inherit this land. He will become a great nation, and through his family, the whole world will be blessed by the Lord Jesus. He believes it. By sending his sons away, Abraham acts with the same confidence in the promise of God that led him to buy the cave of Machpelah near Mamre that would become an ancestral burial site for his people. He believes that God will give this land Canaan to his descendants, and so he does what he is able to secure that future by sending his other sons away from Isaac, who God said these things would take place through. He sends the other sons away so that there won't be conflict and rivalry and Isaac won't lose the land. When you think about that, you can understand why Abraham's faith is commended to us in Hebrews 11, can't you? Why he's considered to be a powerhouse of faith and faithfulness. Abraham isn't living out a half-hearted or a lukewarm faith with half a love for God and half a love for the seven sons that he's had with Hagar and Keturah. He is putting God first. He is singularly committed to the purpose of God, and he sends the sons away to see the promise passed to Isaac as God told him it would. He chooses to love God more than his family. What a cost. It's a cost that's echoed in the life of our Lord Jesus. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus is teaching and preaching in Galilee, and while he's there in the middle of talking... Uh, Some people come and they say, your mum's here, your brothers are here, they're just outside, they want to speak to you, Jesus. And someone comes and lets him know, and then he replies, and he says this, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And then pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is the brother and the sister and the mother. Our Lord sends his flesh and blood away so that he can prioritize the purpose of God, of welcoming these others who are adopted into his kingdom. If Jesus was to hold on to the earthly relationships with his mum and his brothers as his first priority, it would derail the purpose of God. He would stop preaching and teaching and spend time with them instead, not through a conflict over the land that would arise like it would between Isaac and his other brothers, but a conflict in Jesus' heart. Who would have his first allegiance? Jesus is no more a sterile Bible character than Abraham. He was a real, feeling, flesh and blood man. He wept. He felt sadness. He was driven by compassion. We see times where he has righteous anger. He feels, he has emotions. But he would not love Mary and his brothers more than his heavenly father and his will and purpose. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. This is Ashley Null summarizing the theology of Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. The reality that we choose what we love and then make excuses to justify our choice lies at the heart of the pattern of Anglican worship. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That reality sets the pattern for the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, which our subsequent liturgy comes from. Our liturgical framework is designed to help us consider the things that we love more than God, 
to think about and work through the things that entangle us, that take a priority in our lives over him, where we should be singularly committed to his purpose. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Church, what do we love? that we make excuses to hang on to or raise above God that we should send away. It's a problem for every single one of us, isn't it? Raising things above our God. Our hearts are sometimes captured by love of other things, by the love of recognition and people saying, well done, by the love of status, by the love of being seen to be busy, If you're a joker that wears a bit of plastic around his neck from time to time, the love of ministry success and being well thought of as a gospel minister. The love of a full bank account or being an adored family member. The love of attaining academic success or being desirable to others. Of being a person of importance, being a great cook, a clever thinker or funny. They're all things that can get in the way of our love of God. Now, they're not bad things in and of themselves, but they can creep up the order of the things that we pursue in our lives. They can capture our hearts. And when these things become drivers for us, we lift them to a place that they're not meant to occupy in our lives. Abraham faced that temptation to lift the love of sons above the purpose of God. Our Lord Jesus faced that temptation to lift the love of mother and brothers ahead of the will of his heavenly father. What might we need to send away to see God's purpose continue as we live in a time where his promises to us in Jesus are fulfilled only in part? We live in a disordered manner, don't we? Where we pursue the things which capture our hearts rather than our God. But not Abraham, not Jesus, Because of Abraham's trust in his heavenly father, in this account on his final days, he was able to be singularly committed to God's purpose, even though his promises to him is only partially fulfilled. As Abraham makes the heart-wrenching decision to singularly pursue God's purpose, we see a trajectory which brings about blessing. There's a practical blessing which comes his way, a blessing that God had promised. Abraham is now the father to many sons, who would later become many nations. From Ishmael, his firstborn, our tradition says that Arab people are descended. From the second batch of the sons, the list of names that Sarah had to read for us this morning, the Asherites, the Latushites, the Lemuites, the Midianites, they are all Abraham's descendants, and they're going to form nations and powerful tribes and family groups and clans that will spread across this region from Iran to Egypt. Practically, God is blessing Abraham by fulfilling his promise to him. He will be the father of a great nation, Israel, and many nations, the rest that we've just named. And his descendants will be many. They have their origins here in these additional sons of Abraham. But much more important than the practical blessing that will come, we see in verse 11 this. It says that after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Bealaharoi. Back in chapter 16, verse 14, Be'er Laharoi is where God's messenger appeared to the distraught and pregnant Hagar. That is the place where Ishmael was born. 
that Isaac will now come and settle in the place where Ishmael was born shows us that Isaac is the one son that God is choosing to bless. Isaac is the one that God will now work through to see his covenant promises to Abraham come to pass. When Abraham dies, Isaac inherits the blessing which God has given to Abraham through his long life, which is described for us in verse 8. Despite the cost, on the day of his death, Abraham is at peace with God, who justified him because of his faith back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Even on the day of his death, Abraham has remained singularly committed to the promises of God. And his commitment to God's purposes is a timely lesson for us. Today, after this service, we're going to meet as a church community. We're going to consider a proposed direction, a vision for the next three to five years. It's a hopeful description of the kind of church that we might become. As we work with singular commitment to God's purpose for us. While we partner with Jesus, living under his blessing, while we await his return and the fulfillment of his promises to his people. Today there's going to be an opportunity for us as a church to decide to be so singularly committed to God's purpose that we will bravely reimagine what we might look like as a church in three to five years' time, that we would bravely reimagine who we might be as a church whānau for the sake of the lost. Now, whether it's 100% agreement on what's presented today, or whether it's a modified vision after we've heard people's feedback and reworked it and gathered it in and come back to the drawing board, as we gather in this afternoon's meeting, the big question for us is, can we work together as a unified body in this place, as the people of God in this parish church, with a singular focus to see God's purpose come to pass? to see his kingdom grow and men and women and children receive life in all its fullness as the saving grace of the Lord Jesus is made known in our proclamation of him in our lives and our words as our Lord and in our loving acts of compassion. Is that something we can commit to today? And if we say yes to that church, then that's going to take a change of heart it's going to mean a change in some of the way that we do things. It's going to cost us. As we live with a singular commitment to God's purpose, which will have an even greater impact than the life-saving work of Desmond Doss, because the people who we save by sharing the good news of Jesus will be saved for all eternity. Are you prepared Am I prepared? Are we together prepared to bear the cost? As we reorder our own lives to set God and his purpose as our highest priority. As we reorder our church life and reorder our passions and priorities to see God's promise shared more widely to the fulfillment of his purpose. As we've walked with Abraham, we've seen him grow in his faithfulness to God and that has been a great joy. He's had some spectacular failures, hasn't he? Times where his trust in God buckled and he wrested control from his God. Times where his fear overruled his faith and he sinned. But we've also seen times where he pursued God faithfully, trusting in his word. He exemplified it by undergoing circumcision in his flesh. That's a big commitment. He exemplified it by buying the cave where he would be buried in with Sarah. 
He exemplified it by being prepared to offer Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. He exemplified it by, at the end of his life, sending his sons away as he continued to pursue a singular commitment to God's purpose, even though God's promise to him was only partially fulfilled. Church, do we have a singular commitment to God's purpose? Growing in our love of the Lord Jesus and reordering our priorities so that he holds the highest place, the highest allegiance and the greatest devotion in our lives. This piece of the Bible, the end of Abraham's life, shows us that by sending away all the other sons, Abraham by great faith bore a cost that ensured God's blessing would pass to Isaac and his purpose would continue. Abraham died, but God's purpose would continue through Isaac. God's faithfulness to his covenant promises would continue. Not even Abraham's death would hinder it. It would continue through Isaac, who God also blessed. God's faithfulness to his promises is absolutely assured. We have seen his faithfulness to his promise to Abraham amplified in his faithfulness through the death on the cross of Jesus, which ushered in the new covenant in his blood. That covenant in the Lord Jesus is indispensable for God's covenant promise to Abraham to come to pass. The promise to bless the whole world is being fulfilled by the Holy Spirit awakening hearts and minds as people hear and respond to the proclamation of Jesus as Lord, which brings people back to a right relationship with him when they find forgiveness, freeing them from the curse of sin and death in the Lord Jesus. The last chapter of Abraham's life has reminded us that God's promise will continue to grow and expand from generation to generation until the Lord Jesus returns. God's people must do all that we can to ensure that God's purpose of blessing continues from generation to generation in our own little corner of the world, in light of our own unique values as a church community, as we live out our trust in God's promises, which at this time are only fulfilled in part, but one day will be gloriously completed when Jesus returns, bringing about God's reversal of the poison and damage of sin in this world. Church, can we be singularly committed to that purpose of God, sharing and living the good news of Jesus together? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for Abraham's phenomenal commitment to you that cost him so much. Even more, we give you thanks and praise for our Lord Jesus, who bore an even greater cost in his own body on the cross so that your purposes would be fulfilled. Lord, would you please give us that same singular commitment to your purposes, that we would be prepared to bear great costs in our own lives as we reorder our priorities and loves, as we take captive the things which want to grab our hearts and raise them up above you, Lord, help us to move them down the order of our priorities, that you would always be first. And we pray as well that you would continue to inspire and lead us as we think about how we can make your purposes known in our community. Lord, we long to see your kingdom grow and your purposes come to pass. And so we ask that you would use us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you.
If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.